Welcome back to Pod is a Woman. This is Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And we're so excited to have finished a month with you guys, but we thought this week we'd do something a little different and just talk us girls. It's about time we get a chance to share a little bit from our own perspectives, right? We get to talk about the state of the race and how we're feeling about everything going on in the world. So ladies, how was your Labor Day weekend? Whew. <laughs> I feel like we're in Groundhog Day, like every day of the pandemic. Um, it was hot in Los Angeles, but I also, every time I complain about any of this, I realize how lucky I am that I have a house, right? That I have a roof over my head, that I have food in the refrigerator, and that, um, you know, I have a family who I love. And so I think like this pandemic, I don't know about you guys, but it's like we both realize how much we have and then kind of reprioritizing what we want to focus on. And Johanna, now I have just gotten the girls back in school. Today was their first day, but you have had Hugh back in school for a little bit. How's it going? Well, it's remote. And um, at least we knew it would be remote because I think a lot of people are going back in person and then they're having to go remote. And so at least because we knew it was remote, we could plan for it. Um, and the school district actually did plan for it and they've got a schedule from 8.20 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon, but it's got a lot of breaks. And so, you know, you have to refocus kids energy Mm -hmm. and it's not easy for anybody. It's not easy for the teachers. I mean, I don't know, Darian, you guys just started. Did you just start today? We just started today. It was the girls um, first day, one in pre-K four and the other in first grade. Oh my God. The picture you posted (laughs) on your Instagram is so cute. Dawson's face is exactly how we all feel about virtual learning. We did not get as much of a heads up about going remote. So a lot of families in Chicago um, are have been scrambling for um, childcare as they navigate through the new um, school system. And last night, I was in a a little bit of a panic trying to make sure that we were all set up and that our Google Classroom was set up. So it's around nine, and I've had a glass of wine. And I'm sitting there trying to make sure that all of the links work. And I see that the Google Hangout is active for Dawson's class. So I log in and it's just me and the teacher. And <laughs> she's, so she's in her pajamas. I'm in my pajamas. I'm in bed and I'm just like, oh, hi. It's so nice <laughs> to meet you. And you could tell that she was trying to get her bearings and I was trying to present a professional face for her. And I was just, oh my God, I was mortified. <laughs> well, that's the thing you hear from a lot of teachers right now. And especially like the older teachers. My mom was a kindergarten teacher in LAUSD. And the technology thing isn't something you're really used to. Oh, and how no. much patience we want to have for teachers right now as they're trying to navigate not only obviously teaching, but Zoom etiquette, not getting up in the middle of it or having someone walk in and interrupt and all the just embarrassing things that we've seen happen since we all went into quarantine, right? Right. And you have kids, Dawson, at, I mean, at four, she is not a huge fan of having to do everything via um, Google Hangout or Zoom. And so sometimes she'll just decide that she's done and she'll close the computer. 
Yeah. And so you have to physically <laughs> sit there with her to get her to interact. I'm going I'm to start doing that when I have a bad Zoom just, date. I'm just going to like close <laughs> my computer. Close it. So, say thank you. Thank you. And she, she'll straight up tell you, no, thanks. I'm done. No, thank you. And I'm trying to, you know, create a schedule for her and a schedule for Dylan where Dylan is in class. I say that with air quotes because she is sitting at her computer for from 9 a.m. until 12. And I feel like for a six-year-old to keep her attention is really hard. So I've got to find really fun ways to incentivize their participation in class. So it'll be, I mean, it's a learning experience for us all. We're all trying to figure it out and to come into it with some measure of grace and understanding for what all of these families are going to through we're fortunate that we have high-speed internet and we have the tech technological capabilities to be able to do online learning but I look at all these families in underserved communities that are trying to do the same who have parents who are working full-time jobs like like we are and am just you know sending a little prayer for them because this is not easy on anyone and it'll be really interesting to see where we are in a couple of months after having having a little bit of zoom fatigue yeah, well, we're thinking about a lot of these families yesterday for Labor Day. You know, it was great to have the three-day weekend, even though since we were in this god-awful heat wave in L.A. where I am, I basically hid in my house all weekend and um, ate burritos in bed. But, <laughs> but, but honestly, like, what this year, Labor Day hit me especially hard because our essential workers that we're celebrating, I mean, our healthcare workers, also our farm workers, Yeah, I mean... When you talk about the heat wave, the pandemic, and the fires, I don't know if you guys have been seeing these images in central, the oh, central yeah. part of California. Right. I mean, the fact that farm workers lack so many protections, but are out there as one of the most frontline workers right now, frankly, like they should be paid a whole lot more. They should be paid well, and that they should also have the medical protections for them. They don't have the equipment that they need for, you know, air quality, for to protect their own breathing, to protect their own ability to to work in an environment that isn't dangerous for them. They don't have that right now. I think this is really forced, like, what is essential, right? Like, our food is essential. Our medical care is essential. Our educators are essential. If we want to have an economy, these things are essential. And, you know, I do think that there's, um, you know, with with all of these things, like, for too long, we take for granted, um, you know, everything that goes into a decision to, you know, just put food on your table, right? I went to the farmer's market on Sunday, and it was so hot, Alejandra, to your point, that at eight in the morning, it was already 100 plus degrees. And yet oh, yeah. farmers were standing out there, mm -hmm. you know, all day selling the crops that many people had to pick to put on, you know, that farmer's market stand. And I, I know in Southern Illinois, you know, we grew up where it was like the jobs were detasseling, right? And that is a job that is essential work mm -hmm. and i think you know we too often um we're creating these apps in california we're talking about these cool technologies that are not giving people the essential needs and i think it gives us that opportunity to refocus to those basics 
You know who had a good Labor Day? Who? I'm sure you'll there tell was, us. <laughs> I was reading this article about um, the hair salon owner that owned the hair salon that Nancy Pelosi was recorded in. Apparently on Labor Day posted that they crowdfunded over $300,000 for her. I saw that. Wow. I saw that. I I was watching the, you know, look, it's a small business, right? And I feel for small business owners right now because there hasn't been enough relief. Even with the PPP loans, they were loans, not grants. Right. And so there's a lot of desperation with small business owners who are trying to keep lights on and put paychecks out and, you know, pay rent and everything like that. And so I didn't understand for the life of me any of the reactions about this. I feel like we need to get back to, you know, these are small business owners. We need to take care of small business owners. And I'll be honest, I I actually am a little curious in California because we shut down a lot of these small businesses and we did not. Johanna, do you think she was set up? I okay. Here's the thing: when you're a political leader, it's kind of like these are the complaints I hear out of Donald Trump's mouth all the time. That like you know, oh, you can't attack me, right? Like you shouldn't go after me. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. When you make the laws, you should know well enough to follow them. So whether you know she was set up or not, I don't think you respond by saying I'm set up. I think well, you respond say- by saying. This is a small business owner in pain, and I feel for this small business owner. I am sorry that I did not realize that what I was doing was not allowed. And these are the different reasons why well, she said that what there was were- said. What was said was that that I guess what she was told from her staff is what she said was that the salon was allowing people to go in one at a time to get their hair done. That that was something that was like kosher had been agreed upon as a part of, you know, these regulations. So if that was the case, then it was actually utilizing and um, patronizing this salon. Small business, right. right. That's the argument. And that's what a lot of people are trying to go support small businesses. I think that the, they got one clip of her without a mask on and they that was a big thing it. it was that she didn't have the mask on all of us have gone in and gotten haircuts but we ca- had our mask i have on, not right? i have not have you not gotten a single haircut can, okay can you see how long my hair is right now we're all on zoom so <laughs> you guys see how long my hair is like below like uh, to my ribs but basically. not only that alejandra you colored your own hair you have, I did. Yeah, you, did. you know, really you taken really a lot of precautions for safety. And I think that's the important part. That's It's not that it's a small business that, you know, is feeling the effects of this. And we're seeing small businesses and, you know, restaurant owners across the country feeling the impact on COVID and them having to make sort of life or death decisions on how they keep their small business running, how they continue to pay their employees, but also how they're balancing a pandemic and keeping their customers safe and keeping themselves safe when this is their livelihood but it's it's the not wearing the mask part I think that people are really drawn to and upset about and I see people like you Alejandra who have you know underlying medical issues and are continuing to deal with medical conditions and you don't want to risk that right yeah and and look I mean my I quarantine really hardcore because of, you know, pre-existing condition and and being immunosuppressed. At the same time, 
there's not a lot of information out right now about what is really the regulation and what like our hair salons kind of open now are like are can you go get waxed can you go to your business like i feel like there's so much confusion now and i know the governor at least in our state has released a website where you're supposed to go on and track all that i haven't gone on there and looked myself and i'm just being devil's advocate here that a lot of us are getting information and if I was told, okay, it's actually all right for you if you're alone in this hair salon to go. It's actually completely a way to support a small business um, and it's safe. I might consider it as well. The problem, again, we keep coming back to was the no mask. And so obviously that video was really alarming. So um, yeah, it, it was but a, a gotcha moment. Donald Trump isn't getting blowouts because I'm sorry, right? Like he is clearly getting blowouts. I don't want to picture that. <laughs> Not at all. Not I don't even want to. But like, I don't need that visual. So here was what I was upset about is, okay, I, I totally get it. She should have owned it and said, I made a mistake. Because I think you have to. You have to own things and you have to say, I made a mistake when you made a mistake. But I I got a little upset about, you know, some of my friends on the right who are commentators on Fox all starting to just, I mean, it was like pile on. And to me, that was when I was like, okay, please, God, I never want to be a mean girl. Well, because, because it also got into the nasty. sexist. Yeah. And it got yes. into the sexist piece because she was getting her hair done. Like so how many nasty. pictures did we see of Trump and Pence walking through factories without masks on and all that? But the fact that it was even. tinged with the femininity piece so it you could be used to make fun of her for um you know wanting to do something seeing so frivolous you know or if it was vain or all of that which is totally unfair and kind of lobbed against women all the time but i i hear you johanna it's like uh, there was like some girl on girl crime as far as the way this was covered it was really nasty and like people started you know again it's we can be awful to each other as women and we can I see this happen to Ivanka Trump or Melania Trump as much as I see it happen to women in our circles like Nancy Pelosi when people just pile on and it starts in this like I believe women in politics have lightning rods on their heads and when something when they've done something wrong it is like everyone just has piled on and I'm like Enough of it, right? No, she shouldn't have said it was a setup. And I'm very, like, I feel for the small business owner who is having to navigate really unfortunate um, different regulations because the federal government has ceded any control or responsibility in a pandemic. And so now it's state by state and local entities making provisions that are, it's like, it's so mad. And it's at the but county is, level. It's at the is, county level. That, I mean, this is yeah. a makes it when more you, confusing. When you have this piecemeal approach to trying to solve for a pandemic that doesn't know any boundaries. And exactly. when you do it piece by piece, state by state, city by city, county by county, you're not solving for anything because in Chicago, we might have a certain set of rules that aren't being, you know, taking part in the rest of Illinois. And Illinois may have a different set of rules than what Indiana's doing. And everybody's in a different phase. And there's just no sort of consistency throughout. 
And even when you see your state or your city start to do better when it comes to testing numbers, they start to spike because then people are going out more. They're being, you know, more relaxed in when they're wearing their mask or how they're social distancing or the number of people that are coming together. It doesn't help when you're trying really hard, again, like I'm showing my cards here, but when you're trying really hard to obey the rules yeah. and then you see all these other people not doing it, yeah. I, I continue to obey these rules, but then I can see other folks being like, you know what? Screw it. I'm hiking in 100 degree weather wearing a mask. And that person is like, breathe in nice, fresh air. Why am I doing this if right. no one's doing it's frustrating. it for me? I, I am out when I run on the lakefront. I continue to wear my mask while I'm running. And it is hard as hell to breathe when you're running in a mask. Yeah. But it's like every person who passes by me, I don't want to risk that. I don't want to risk getting anyone else anyone infected I don't want to risk you know me being infected myself and people think that oh well because you are outside that you might be that you might not be compromised and what this pandemic has showed us I mean 180,000 dead people is not you know saying that our numbers are decreasing they're continuing to rise as far as death toll goes so why not just out of an abundance of caution and wanting to look out for your fellow citizens, why not be careful? This is the thing, though. We needed a consistent response, right? Sure. We needed a federal government-led consistent response where they use the political pressure that they have of the White House and of the federal government to apply pressure and to get the political clout to the WHO to actively and effectively prevent the U.S. from being in this situation. And because we didn't have that, small businesses are having to navigate these very difficult decisions and it's on the small business owner. And so I actually think that back to, you know, that small business owner, I, I actually want to support small business owners. My father in trying to navigate Iowa law has, it's been so confusing. He's got a brewery his little small brewery, he wants to keep people employed and he wants to keep serving people who, by the way, besides his restaurant, have a Walmart for food, right? Because this is Keokuk, Iowa, which is small. And so, you know, there's, here he's in this situation because there's such disinformation from the federal government, little information from the state government, and really no local news organizations that are giving us exactly precise by like regulations that he's having to decide, well, everybody, you know, they don't really want to wear their masks anymore. And the governor said, we don't have to wear our masks anymore. And now he's in a situation where he could actually bring COVID home to my mother because he's not wearing a mask. And all of us are like, this shouldn't be the situation, right? Well, I think at the end of the day, none of this is, I mean, none of this is going to change until we have a different president. And this yeah. is, I mean, we, we can all go around circles forever. But the bottom line is like Joe Biden has made it very clear in a Biden-Harris administration on day one, there's going to be a mask mandate and there's going to be a clear unified message. And frankly, you know, we will get into like all the different folks and the, the infighting and, and all the drama that's going on in this election, which is not going to be easy. But God, if it's alone for getting through this pandemic, like it's very, very clear who is going to get us out of this and who is not. We've got to vote.
Well, speaking of the Biden-Harris campaign, they were on the trail again this weekend and are back doing in-person events. We had um, both the vice president and um, Kamala in Wisconsin this week. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see her get off that plane, but she looks so badass in those chucks. Uh, I was going to say in the chucks. In yes, the chucks. That, that was all over the place, that picture or that video. Yeah, it just, it. I think... She is, she exudes this kind of level of coolness that I really love about her and her em- just embracing who she is. She's, she's, you know, one of us. And I, I just thought that that was a really cool video. It was. Well, and frankly, like, I always get a little, uh, I always get a little skeptical when I see kind of like nods to coolness in political candidates. And I'm like, okay, is this kind of being done on purpose? But there were all these throwback photos that folks were showing of her wearing chucks through the years, like back, back in the day before she was a, a national figure. And so, so I respect that, you know, then it's like, keeping it real like that and kind of bringing pieces of who you are, where you come from. I think that is that the authenticity that people are looking for um, in candidates. So yeah, I respect it. Well, unfortunately, one of the things that has really come to light over the past week um, were some remarks that President Trump made about visiting a military cemetery and his relationship with the military. And it's something that I take very personally, my family's military service, as you you girls know, goes back to the Civil War, and it's something that we are very proud of. My mother was a Gulf War vet. My brothers and I, there are, I have three brothers, and all four of us served in either Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, and military service is at the heart of who I am. It's a part of my family's backbone. So to hear him speak so disparagingly, and we knew that it was something that he felt in his heart, the comments that he's made about John McCain, which I don't even think are worth repeating because they are so disgusting. Um, It really, it pains me because I am so proud of our military history. And I think as a country, we are so proud of the service of people who have come before us. And I think about this when I look at our time at the White House and the president's time, and it makes me think very specifically back to um, an event that we did, and it was my very first event as Director of Veterans Wounded Wars and Military Families Outreach. And the president, President Obama, was not going to be at Arlington National Cemetery. So conservatives were up in arms about it. They Before he we even landed in Illinois, which is where he spent that Memorial Day, there were all of these pieces on Fox News and across social media about him not being at Arlington National Cemetery. And we planned an event, and it was my very first event from, you know, concept through fruition. And it was in Elwood, Illinois, which is about 50 miles outside of the city. And the president lands, he does his wreath laying. And then as he's coming back to the hold to prepare for his remarks, and we bust in 8,000 people to this cemetery, Lincoln National Cemetery. And the sky just opened up. And there was a full-on lightning storm, and it was intense. And so our entire staff is soaked. I'm soaked. The press secretary is soaked. Chief of staff is soaked. The president is soaked. And he still takes to the stage. 
And though he has to take to the stage to ask everybody to go home because we're in the middle of a lightning storm, he still did it. And he did it with so much grace and humility and wanted to make sure that we were honoring the service members who had lost their lives. And then on top of that, he comes back to the hold, dries off a little bit, the power goes out in the hold, Secret Service has to put their hands on him and physically make sure that he is okay. But then he decides, well, why don't we board some of the buses so that we can say thank you to the families and to the servicemen and women who were on these buses. And he got on one of the buses and he even got heckled and he took that all in stride because he recognized as commander in chief that's a part of the job and to reference service members and people who have been killed or injured in war as losers how dare you what kind of person are you and i think about our time in iraq with the vice president and staffing the vice president is interesting because of his strong belief in love and genuine respect for military service members And it makes it a little challenging sometimes because he truly believes in his heart. If he sees a service member, he's not going to allow them to walk by him without stopping them and thanking them for their service and shaking their hands. So when you're in a room of 800 service members, it's going to be a very long afternoon. But you see him and his interaction with these service members. And he asks to call their mom. He asks where they're from. He genuinely cares about who they are as people and making sure that they're safe. And that's the sort of commitment you want in your commander in chief in the way that this president disregards military service, the way he uses it as a prop, as a way to show off his might because he is a weak little man. Well, I know you obviously have uh, so many veterans in your family and know so many veterans because of your work at the white house. But I'm curious, Darian, when you, talk to other veterans in your life, what is their reaction to what Trump said? You know, because I know that they're trying to backpedal it and say that that isn't what happened. But when they heard that, what was the general reaction? I think the reaction is more of disgust. How, how dare you disparage somebody's military service, somebody who's sacrificing their life and their, you know, They're moving their families around from state to state to country to country to military base to military base. They're uprooting their kids out of schools. I can't tell you how many times we moved as kids and all to sacrifice for a country that you love, that you want to honor. And this doesn't show this is these are not the actions or the words of an honorable man. No, and that's the weird thing is a lot of people, and most notably today, Sarah Huckabee Sanders have been kind of coming to his defense. And you know, she just put out a video where she was saying she watched the president make notification calls to let parents know that their son or daughter was killed in the line of duty, which then she had to walk back and explain that she they don't make notification calls. It was condolence calls. So the whole thing was was all jumbled up anyway, but she came to his defense saying, I watched him and his empathy. And it's interesting because we've all watched him all these years. And now they're kind of asking us to believe that, that this man had, had done all these calls in this, in this um, incredible way. But I don't know. You, you have seen, the thing is we have been firsthand witnesses to empathy and action. 
And we've seen the president console families. I was with him at Fort Hood at the memorial service after the Fort Hood massacre. I've been to countless military hospitals where we've gone into some of these rooms just to help the spouse say goodbye before they take that service member off of life support. We've visited with countless Gold Star families. And what people don't realize is when you are the commander in chief, you have a responsibility to these families to do it quietly, to not politicize their trauma and politicize their hurt. And that's not what Donald Trump has done. And I've just, we at so many of our airport stops, we would make sure that if there was a Gold Star family in the area, that they could come and sit with the president, that they would have time with the president to tell them about their loved ones. And Gold Star families, for those who are listening, are those who have lost a service member to war. And you respect that, you honor that time, and you honor those families and the service and the sacrifice of those families. What Sarah Huckabee Sanders is doing is, for me, very similar to how you felt when Kaylee made her comments about BRCA and how Donald Trump supported her. I don't, mm. I don't feel that he supports military service members. I don't think that he recognizes the service and the commitment that these military families have. And it's disheartening. It's really disheartening. Well, and I think it was obvious before when he said the things about John McCain, right? And that's like, he's been on the record on that. And so, you know, what I didn't love was that it was a ton of anonymous sources. I really believe that people need to come out and put their name with their words. And it is really disheartening to me to see so many people say that they want to be brave and that they're going to, you know, come out and say the truth, right? But not put their name on the line. And so the problem is that it's easy for people to discredit when there are not names attached to it. So I am, I, I am, I don't think this is the last of this story, right? I think we're going to hear a lot more. And um, Darian, I can only imagine like what it was like seeing parents leave for war and then going to war yourself. And I think, you know, Donald Trump didn't do that, right? We haven't had a president who has done that in a, in like a while. (laughs) And, and I think that's a problem. I think we need to get back to service and commitment. And I'm a little worried that we have such disconnect from our military. Um, Well, it feels like, you know, we're we're living in two different realities. This is a reality show being played out is how, how this feels. And the press coverage of the different campaigns is completely like you're, you feel like you're living in two different worlds. Can I, can we give Senator Tammy Duckworth the final word on this? Oh, yeah. Because she said something that I that bears repeating. She said, I'll take my wheelchair and my titanium legs over his bone spurs any day. As we say, Donald Trump could never. Can we talk about 
actually cameras and the press coverage because this was this was my job. This was a lot of our jobs was right. Like it was controlling the um, access that cameras got to the president of the United States and making sure that the president was able to get his message out right in an effective way wherever he was. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Americans don't realize how the deck is stacked against anyone running against an incumbent president. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the Hatch Act that's supposed to protect against people using White House assets for their own political gain. But separate from that, there is a press corps covers the president of the United States no matter where they go. So if a president travels anywhere, there's 13 members of the press that consists of wire services, television news coverage, um, local newspapers, uh, all of these different photographers that will cover anything that he does, right? So last time around, There was no incumbent president running, but Donald Trump had cameras always. And this is another thing. I mean, Alejandra, you and I left the White House and we eventually worked at the L.A. Times together when there was the possibility of turning it into a nonprofit and trying to save coverage of the good and the bad and make sure they had a business model. And the thing that's happened with this trend of clickbait news and the changes in the media market is that everybody wants that headline that's going to sell papers, right? It's like back to yellow journalism. So here we're in this situation where Trump sold like coverage, right? People are are there they're watching Donald Trump wherever he is. He is a celebrity. And so now we're seeing it on steroids this election cycle because no matter what the president does, there's always a camera there. And the news organizations are making the decision to turn on every press briefing from a press secretary. They're making the decision to turn on every spray in any meeting. A spray is when... Um, a group of cameras will go in and take a quick shot of something that a president is doing, right? We saw that all the time, that President Obama would do these things and the images wouldn't always be used. But in this circumstance, it is being used all the time. Joe Biden is not always in his basement. And yet people would think that Because when Joe Biden is actually out on the trail, he is somehow not getting coverage. And you have to realize, you know, if you're an ordinary American, you may think, oh, he's not doing anything, right? And that is actually not true. He's just not getting coverage for the things that he's doing. And this disparity is so concerning for our democracy, that I want to get back to a conversation of freedom of the press, how crucial that is in our democracy, what's going on in the White House briefing room, because my worry in this administration is, you know, in this election is not socialism. My worry in this election is that we have gotten rid of a free press so substantially that Own will go in the briefing room. Own is the president's, you know, right hand, uh, 
news organization that's going to say anything he says. And they'll say, you know, oh, you know, Mr. President, you know, how is it that that uh, Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi were cooking, you know, COVID in the Wuhan lab together? And he'd be like, oh, I, I haven't heard that yet. I'm so glad you brought that to my attention. Right. And now it feeds a whole news cycle. And so the problem, it it's the stuff of dictatorships. This is dangerous and it should not be happening. And I'm sorry, but like we've got to reform how our president is covered. No matter who wins this election, everyone should be worried about this. I mean, I don't know if I want to follow that. I, I mean, was going to say. <laughs> someone I'm get so this, someone worked get up this about it. A soapbox. <laughs> I'm so no, but, worked up about it. So I'm curious because like, so every time that Trump goes out in public, you know, he's very aware of cameras. Is this somebody, I mean, he's, it's, it's been said a million times before. This is our reality show president, right? He's used to the fact that he's followed. He's used to the fact that, you know, any press is good press. And so his approach to media has been different than any other president we've ever seen, and I'd argue any other politician we'd ever seen. And there's always something, you know, he's always there's giving always something, something to the press, right? He gives something, whether it's intentional or not. Some people just have a way, you know, there's a reason why on every reality show, the the villain is just as, if not more famous than the hero, right? And Joe Biden goes out and, you know, addresses the media and, and talks about issues and is not doing these buck wild things that are obviously a lot of times driving our news cycle. So I, I agree with you that Trump sucks a lot of oxygen in the media cycle. Absolutely. This has been why, you know, he obviously became such a dark horse. I think it's it's more nuanced than that because I think it's also the fact that he's constantly feeding the beast, right? right? Intentional or not. And how can you look away? And when we try to look away, I guess, to your point, Johanna, they don't allow us to. And Alejandro, do you think it's because he's consistently setting up distractions to keep us from actually having to investigate and keeping the real press from having to investigate his failures? Absolutely. And it's not just him, it's people in his orbit and folks that are very smart about how to gin up media attention. You know, having bringing attention to a policy issue is not the sexiest thing. You know, a lot of times I've worked in in the press shop, the communication shop at the White House as well. And a lot of times, even when you're in the White House, it's how can we bring attention to this rollout? How can we bring attention to this issue, this policy issue, this um, initiative that we're launching? You know, usually your job is to to cultivate media um, because it, it isn't always going to get that attention. And folks that come from a different background that are more of television, I mean, we had TV producers uh, producing the RNC. I mean, that's intentional that's by design because it's a completely different kind of approach to media that's right and we're i don't think we're going to see those two things be separated again in future campaigns because we've kind of let it out of the box right yeah well um, and, and disinformation is winning because when you go out there and you answer every question but you just make things up and you literally talk about bleach 
you know, as a potential cure for a pandemic. Disinformation is winning and it's getting so much oxygen that we are not focused on what we do need to do to make America great, which is create solutions to all of the world's problems, sell them to billions of people, make the world a better place and also keep some level of dominance so that freedom can win. And that's my problem is that, you know, I don't know that the Democrats are going on the offense the way that I want to see the Democrats go on either. Well, and that's why we're lucky that right now we have allies who are at different levels of wanting to go out on the offense. And that's why I'm glad, like we talked about last week, we have our allies, even in the Republican Party, that are have different tactics that they're also um, utilizing. Well, as we talk about allies and, you know, coming back to what makes America great, we have women that are standing up across the country and showing what it's like to be badasses, and one of them is our Pottis of the Week. This week, we are recognizing Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks in California. She went viral. I know that you guys all saw her picture because she tried to vote by proxy because she has a one-month-old baby, but was not allowed to do that, so she had to go on the floor with her child still attached to her chest and and vote for the issues that matter so much to her and her constituents. So we just want to take our hat off to Buffy Wicks for really representing women around the world and the balancing act that they have to do in order to be able to work and take care of their families and the really unfortunate situation that they're put in when it's having to choose between potentially exposing their child to coronavirus or, you know, um, meeting their responsibilities. This should not be a choice any woman has to make, but we um, tip our hat to Buffy Wicks for being such a badass. She sets an example. And I'm happy about that example because I've seen moms, you know, have to get childcare to go to a school site council meeting. And to me, it's like, no, bring the baby with, right? Like we need to make this a world in which babies are welcome. So I, I actually thought, yes, absolutely. She, you know, showing the balancing act is, is good and helping people, you know, solve these problems because there are plenty of people who are not as privileged to have a camera there who are doing this every day. So who are we shouting out this week, ladies? Okay, you guys, we have a great shout out of the week. It's Courtney Diesel O'Donnell, who we all know we worked with in the White House. She is a lot of fun and very smart and sophisticated. And we are thrilled that she has joined the Biden campaign overseeing the activities of Doug Emhoff, who is Senator Kamala Harris's husband. So she gets that role of the hopefully second gentleman. What do you guys think about having him on as our first male guest? I think he'd be kind of awesome, right? Uh, we should definitely, at some point, welcome some men on. Uh, if we I have know, to. guys. We've if had a we lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it's important to give women oxygen. But, yes, we should absolutely have a good gentleman on the podcast. <laughs> we have some exciting folks coming up in the next few weeks. So stay tuned. But this was super fun to chat just us ladies this week. I love it when it's the three of us. Always fun. We'll see you guys next week. 